Hey guys, thank you so much for stopping by Legend Church's weekly podcast. Just a quick reminder, you can check us out at legendchurch.com, find us on Facebook and Instagram, and Sunday mornings in Madisonville. But hey, without further ado, set the cruise control, start Matt Run, or grab a drink, and let's talk about all things Jesus. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for help much for helping to warm up the room. We're glad to see you guys. Um, a couple months ago, I was reading a theology guy um, that's connected to the Bible Project, and man, I can't recommend the Bible Project enough. If you are interested in sort of a history or social cultural, just a, a new way of thinking about Scripture and getting past maybe the way you've carried Scripture or heard Scripture, the Bible Project is the best entry point that I think I've ever found. I really like these guys. Um, but one of the guys connected, one of the scholars connected to that project, said this idea that, that words don't have meanings, meanings have words. And I thought it was the most profound thing I'd ever heard, that we are all people who are looking for meaning and looking to express the world around us and to think about the world around us and how it works. And we go looking for words to do that, and we all use words in different ways. Um, and the seminary is actually really, really helpful for that, for me, as we learned about semantic range. But I man, what if, like, when I look at the world right now, and you've heard, I, I say this almost every time I preach, I'm really concerned about the way the world has tribalized and divided amongst each other. I'm concerned about the way that that has infiltrated and infected the church. And so much of that, I do believe, comes down to the fact that we, we are folks who are looking for words to express meanings and we assume that meanings only have, that have a concrete set of words. So, I, man, I went to Justin. I said, dude, this is going to be the best sermon series. It's a good, it's a good like, beginning of the year thing. We're going to have fun with it. It's kind of loosely structured. Um, uh, let's, let's do this between now and when Lent starts. And the calendar worked out so that Justin had the first sermon last week. And he took an interesting way of starting that sermon off. And it's not the way that I would have done it. Um, <laughs> That, of course, I'm just playing, um, that's, if you remember last week, that's how Justin started his sermon, and multiple people came up to him and was like, are you and, are you and Jason okay? And, uh, <laughs> and I promise you that if Justin and I ever get sideways, we will only work it out from the stage, passively, aggressively, Sunday to Sunday. We will not speak to each other during the week, we will not acknowledge each other's existence, and I will just get up here and trash talk him into the middle of next week, which actually would be really difficult because Justin never does anything but say nice things about me on the stage, which is delightful. Um, <laughs> but so we started off and we said, man, what are we going to do? What are, what, are the, what are important words? Um, as we come in, and I, like, if you had to like, characterize legend or sort of build a profile of what we do around here, um, a lot of us come with church background or baggage, maybe. And we're, we're so sure that folks have done it wrong before us or that folks are doing it wrong around us, which that's a really, that's a good American thing to think. Um, but I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater in lots of places. I'm afraid that we are abandoning, we're abandoning the historic church, the Orthodox church, the church of faith in Jesus Christ because we're worried about a very particular subset of Christianity that tends to suck the oxygen out of the room a lot of the times. And so what are the big words? And so Justin started with grace last week, and um, 
man, as he noted, that's the kind of sermon, like the word grace is the kind of thing we could do every week this year and not exhaust the possibilities. It's that big a concept. Um, I'm going to do something similar. The word, um, the word that jumped off to me that I wanted to explore and think about first is confession or confess. Um, I come from a, a more traditional background, a more liturgical background. I grew up Presbyterian. And um, so uh, like the Presbyterian church had a set thing we did every Sunday morning. And every Sunday morning, we had a moment of confession. We had a time where we came to God and said, God, I'm not what I should be, or I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I got to be honest about that. And then every Sunday morning, our pastor would stand up and say, dearly beloved, you are forgiven and loved by the God of the universe. Every week, no matter what I'd come to confess, after that, I would be reminded that the God of the universe loved and cared for me. And sometimes that got a little rote. Sometimes it got a little routine and it lost some of its punch. But with us as a community, without that liturgy to serve us, I'm afraid we're missing out on a really important part of what it means to be followers of Jesus. Both the confession, both the owning what's wrong and the things that we've done that we're not proud of, we're not happy about, whatever it is, whatever sin it is. And then also the reminder that, yes, child, the God of the universe loves you, even in spite of that. So that's kind of where I want to go this morning as we think a little bit. So uh, let me pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much. It is your kindness, Lord, that brings us here. Thank you for being the kind of God that we can come to in good faith, knowing that you love us, knowing that you knew who we were and died on our behalf anyway. Help us to always be centered, Lord, that you are that kind of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I was at a... I was at a bar this week, hanging out, and uh, we were going around, like, some new people, uh, some people in this group that I'm in, we're introducing ourselves, new people at the beginning of the year, and, um, and we were introducing ourselves and talking about what we did as a career, and I said, oh, I'm a pastor at a small church, and the new guy on the board goes, you're a what? I said, <laughs> I said I'm a pastor at a small church, and he's like, you've already had three beers. So I'm like, what? It's been two hours. What do you want? Um, but... <laughs> And I said, yeah, man, I've been, I've been a pastor. He's like, how long have you been a pastor? I was like, 15 years. He goes, what kind of church employs a guy like you? And uh, <laughs> turns out I'm not what this guy thought of when he thought of church leadership. You would be shocked how often that happens to me. Um, it's quite, quite a lot. Generally, when people say, what kind of church is your church? I say it's the kind of church that lets me stand on the stage. And now you know everything that you need to know about this kind of community. Um, so, we'll start shockingly, if you've been here for a long time, this might really shock you. If you're brand new, it might really shock you. I'm an objectively terrible person. Like, I need you guys, I need up front as loudly as I go. To make the point, when we started the church, we, um, we made a website. Justin and I were furious at having to make a website because who goes to websites? It turns out everybody goes to websites and you got to have that website. And so we were going to put a pro profile of me and Justin. We're the only staff members at the time. Put a profile of me and Justin on the website. That year, I had given up alcohol for Lent and Leo, my oldest son, was, had just turned one. And so, so, of course, St. Patrick's Day is during Lent. 
St. Patrick's Day is a high holy day for me. It's the most important day of the year. Um, and so we had this picture of Leo drinking a Guinness bottle while me sitting there looking unhappy because my one-year-old was getting to have a beer and I'm not allowed to have a beer. Um, and Justin put that on our website. And I stopped and I was like, I don't know that that's the best picture. And Justin's, Justin's idea right then that has stuck is they might as well know now. Brothers and sisters, you might as well know now. Um, I know some of you look at me and think, that dude's got it all together. That right there is an amazing father. Some of you look and think, how blessed is Kim that that is her husband every day? I know. This is difficult for some of you because you expect certain things out of a pastor. You expect us to be wise. I am. Um, you expect us to have it together, to be leaders. Um, to us to have the perfect household. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, that I am a raging mess who barely holds it together day to day? I can pull it together for about three hours on a Sunday morning and not lose my mind on you? Barely. I am, I am the flash, I'm the quickest person to anger that you have ever met in your life. The quickest response for me is anger, and it always has been, because I come from a dysfunctional family where anger was a way to grab power and control the situation. And so I do. I flash to anger quicker than anybody ever should. Um, I am deeply, deeply insecure, and so I scheme and scam every situation that I'm going to be in to my benefit and my control, um, because I don't trust anybody. I'm afraid all the time. I'm worried. I second-guess every conversation that I have with people. Um, I have the worst case of imposter syndrome because I think everybody knows. And everything that I wake up, I wrestle with me not being the person that I think that I'm supposed to be. Uh, I got arrested for shoplifting once. Um, I used to steal bikes as a hobby. Um, I got in lots of fights in junior high school. I really, got, I really enjoyed fighting in high school. I didn't, I didn't use my words yet. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got arrested for stealing a bulldozer once. Um, man, I've just got, I, I, objectively, and I, I know that it sounds like, I know, I know it sounds like, and lots of times people in my position will get up here and be like, you know, I just, I just love people too much. And that's not me. Like, <laughs> I'm objectively, if I am left to my own impulses, my own natural desires, I will do bad things. And it is community and love and the folks who support me no matter what else I do who are always there for me that help me counter that behavior. To quote Aristotle, man, I, I'm working on my best to develop virtues that put a block on my natural or my inborn behaviors. What I am naturally is not good. Um, you, I've been born the brunt of this. Um, the more time I spend with Jesus of Nazareth, the more time I spend with the God of the universe, the more gap I find between me and them. The more time I spend with the goodness, with the love, with the mercy of Jesus, the larger I find a gap between Jesus of Nazareth and myself. And the longer I do it, the more I want that gap resolved. And the longer I embrace this gap, the longer I think about this gap, what I've come to is that I might not be able to fix myself. 
Um, I'm, some of you know this, I'm, I'm really critical of the entire like, self-help industry. Um, I think it's nonsense. Um, because I think it portrays that if we just work harder, if we just pull ourselves up by our moral bootstraps, we'll become the people that we should be. Um, I push back on every, every like personality test or personality quiz. I don't care about Myers-Briggs. don't care about the Enneagram. don't care about any of them. Because I find them to generally be moral bootstraps by which we pick ourselves up and just get better. Um, I did find a really disturbing like, personality test this week that said adult males have to be s- sorted into four houses, and it was based on which brand of power tools you buy. Um, and I've, I've never been so attacked in my life. We, I will only buy DeWalt tools, and I am furious that they are other than that. Um, we have gotten to a point in the world where we think we can fix ourselves, and the evidence says we cannot. An honest read of history and an honest read of our lives, not the, part, not the part we show everybody, but an honest read of who we are says, no, some of these problems are ingrained and they are deep. Um, they're referencing my, my earlier church tradition. I, the, my, my church tradition was pretty profoundly reformed Calvinist, um, what most of you might have experienced within sort of like the loud voices in American Christendom. And I think that I think those folks are off base on some significant things. But there's some things that they really get right. And it's about, it's about this idea of surrendering to God, about letting God in on whatever you find in yourself or in you find in others that we don't like. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 1. I worked. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. I always think John would have been the worst pastor to sit under in the world, because John did not care about anybody's feelings. John was blunt and hard-edged. John was the last of the apostles, the last one living, and he was being forced out of his churches. Younger generations had come along and said, I know you talk about the resurrection of Jesus, but it didn't happen. It's just a spiritual thing. It's just him being a nice guy. It's just him being a good teacher. It didn't happen. And John is fighting for the orthodoxy and the historical truth of the church to say, no, 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 there's this over here. He died and he came back from the dead to cleanse us, to purify us, to work on the stuff that's going on inside that we can't find ourselves able to do. The gap between us and God is both paid for and cured and healed by the work of Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid that because we live in a world that, that, that traffics in, in vibes and in clout and in influence and all these things, and we're being honest about who we are is the worst thing you could be because then people are going to see who you really are that we lose this power of God in our lives because we don't allow God into the raw spots of our lives because we're so busy being what people expect us to be that we're lying to God about who we really are. There's a guy that used to come to Legend. He's not here anymore, and I haven't seen him in years, so I think I can tell the story. Um, we used to have parties pretty often, and this guy would show up at a party with a cake. And it was always a store-bought box of a cake. 
it had the label that sealed the store box closed. And then he would tell us that it was a homemade cake. And, and I'd be like, hey, man, I don't, I don't think it's homemade. He goes, no, no, I just, I just save the cake boxes. I'm sorry, you do what? You save and then you reseal them after you put your homemade cake in them? Yeah. Brother, we love you. You do not have to lie about homemaking a cake, right? It's a small example of a man, the dude just wanted to fit in. And he wanted to impress people. And he chose a thing that didn't matter. And then he chose to lie about it, right? How often are we doing the same thing? There have been lots of people who have come into this church and left because they have found we're going to find out about the nonsense. And then we're going to ask you about it because we're kind of blunt sometimes, right? The word confess, the word confess simply, and I think this is the most important takeaway from this whole thing. The word confess means to agree with. Homo legeo, same speak in Greek. When we confess, what we do is we agree with God about the state of the world and about the state of ourselves in the world. We go to an everlasting, ever-loving, all-powerful God and say, I think you're right, and I'm not sure that I am. Can you fix this, Lord? Throughout the Old Testament, particularly the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this vision. David articulates it as well as anybody. There's this vision of a God who sees the world and says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And who sees our lives and says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Let's, let's fix that. And throughout Scripture is this vision of if we will come to God and agree with him, God can fix it. God can restore. God can redeem. God can renew. But if we won't come to God in agreement with it, then we put up a boundary between us and God. We put up a barrier that limits the power of God in our lives because we have now set ourselves up as a God. We have now said to God, I know you think it's this way, but I'm telling you it's this way. And God says, good and faithful child, try that out and see how that works. There's a way things are supposed to be. Now, if we are going to be people of confession, if we are going to be people who joyfully and headlong into confession, who trust God, who can go to the God of the universe, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the All-Powerful One, for us to go to Him in confession, He has to be a certain kind of God. Do we believe that this is the God who wants to move heaven and earth to redeem and to restore and to recreate all things? Do we believe that this is the God who sees us and knows us and loves us and then desires our healing and our restoration. Throughout the ancient world, that's not what gods were like. Gods were petty. They were vengeful. Nearly every god in every religious system in the ancient world is just the worst qualities of humanity given, given story. And here comes this weird tribe of people living in Israel-Palestine. Come along and say, what if? What if this god is so good? What if this God needs nothing? He just wants to love, and part of loving us is the curing and the healing of a broken world. This is Paul's, this is Paul's idea in Romans chapter 2. In Romans, in Romans, there's a fight because the Greeks, 
and the, uh, the, the Italian Christians and the, the Jewish Christians have gotten into a fight about who should be in charge. The entire book of Romans is set in a racial divide between the early church. Let us never, ever get to the point where we think that we're dealing with something different than the people of Scripture are dealing with. Humanity is a very common problem. Um, in the ancient world, and Paul comes to both of them and says, God loves you. Stop being stupid. And what he says is this. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God does not call us to confession and repentance by his anger or by his wrath or through threat of punishment. God calls us to confession through his kindness. Do we imagine the God of the universe as kind? And that's why last week it was such a good idea to start with grace, to understand who God is and what God wants. The tail end of what Justin said last week is the God of the universe wants you, desires you, loves you, wants to see you healed and cured, will take you as you are. But in his grace and his goodness and his wisdom will not leave you there. That there is a better you than you can imagine God says, and God invites us into that. Maybe, and maybe it's just a toe in the water. Maybe it's just a first step right now. But there's a better way of being in the world, and God has invited us into that. God's desire is that we would come to him in repentance, confession, and redemption over all the world. So here's my thought. All of the power of God is unlocked by our confession. The forgiveness, redemption, the recreation, the newness, all the things we like to think about, all of it is ready and waiting for those who will come to agreement with God about the world and about our role in it. Confession does for us two things. One, confession says that we agree with God over and against everything else, that God's way is better than our way, and that we want to be in that lane. Can we come to agreement with God about the way the world is? One of the things that I really like about Jewish tradition and, and, and the Bible is the Bible portrays God and his people always in a dialogue, always in a conversation, always in a back and forth. Sometimes people win. There are times when Moses wins, when God has an intention and Moses says, whoa, 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 let's not. And God says, you're right. Let's do this your way. God invites us into dialogue with him. Can we come to agreement with God? Can we allow God to be God in our universe? Or are we literally hell-bent on asserting our own way of doing reality and doing the world? Confession allows us to step into God's lane. The second thing confession does is it tells God that we trust the work of his son Jesus, that we know we aren't God. That it is the work of God to redeem, to restore, to renew, to renew, to heal. And we have to come to God and allow him to be God and to do that work and not take that on yourself. And brothers and sisters, what a relief that would be for all of us if we could lay down the need to be God. If we could decenter ourselves from the universe, if we could take ourselves out of the center and put God back in the center, if we can just be children who adore the living God, who offer him songs, who take his gifts and just rest in the knowledge that God is God and we are not. I think if we did those two things, if we believed those things, if we lived in those things, 
I think it creates space for God to do his work in us and then around us. And then our neighbors and our families and our coworkers all begin to experience, let's call it residual benefit of that. That the goodness of God will overflow us and will spill out. Think about what would have to happen if no longer you had to feel guilty about anything. Just, just that. Never again would you have to feel guilty about anything. You would come to God and say, God, I'm, I botched that one. I just botched it. And you hear, job well done, good and faithful servant. The God of the universe who sent his son to die knew you were going to do that thing a long time ago anyway and still chose to go to the cross. Guilt is not official. And I get people ask me this all the time. How do I know the voice of God versus other voices? How can I discern the voice of God speaking to me? How do I know when it's God and not myself? If it comes with guilt, it's not from God. Conviction is freeing. When God tells us to stop doing something, it will feel right and good because we will then have aligned ourselves with the created intent of the universe. Guilt is not for the people of God. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Scripture says. If that's true, then guilt has no place. The price has been paid. The God of the universe loves you and comes to you and says, child, you can do better. Ask my kids if I'm not always, always pushing my kids to be better. It doesn't mean I don't love them. It means I want more for them and I see the potential in them. I see the potential and I call them to it. The second thing, the second thing the confession does is it breaks us of our need to find our self-worth in the opinions of other people. If I know that the God who created the heavens and the earth, if I know that the God who made the lakes and the trees, if I know the God who sent the winds in motion and called thunderstorms in being, if I know that that God loves me, your opinion comes in not a close second. I find my being, I find my identity, I find my self-worth in what God has said about me, and that releases you from having to be God in my life. How many people are you chasing their approval their recognition, their validation, when they're just as flawed and broken as we are. Let them be people too. Let them just be created beings in the image of God and be set free of the need to judge or validate anybody. The final thing I think confession does, and this will be the hard one, confession will allow us to see other people as God sees them as people who bear his image and are deeply loved. And it stops us from judging people. We become then people who accept people as they are, who love them, who trust them, who treat them, we will treat them just as God treats them because we will know that we're in the same boat. There's a, there's a great clip. I'm not sure if we're allowed to use movie clips anymore, so I'll just describe it to you. There's a great clip in The Lord of the Rings where Sam has had it with Gollum. Sam just cannot stand Gollum anymore. Sam never trusted Gollum. And he stops, and Frodo just turns and tees off on Sam. Says, why do, you do, why do you do that to him? And Sam says, he's evil. And he is. By any objective measure, Gollum is evil. And Frodo looks at him and says, Sam, I have to believe he can come back. Because I have to believe that I can come back too. Brothers and sisters, we get to do that in reverse. We know we can come back because the God of the universe has loved and redeemed and forgiven us. And so we know that every other person we run into can come back too. And we have hope. But for these things to be set in motion, 
for these things to be set in motion, we have to be people of confession, people who come to agreement with God about the world, about the way it is, and about the way it should be. To do that, we're going to have to spend time with God. You have to, you have to buckle down and spend time with God and ask him, Dude, what, do you, what should I be doing? Some of us do that in prayer. Some of us do that in scripture reading. Some of us do that in music. Some of us do that in serving the, in serving the, the, the less fortunate. There's a million ways to worship. Spend time in God, with God and allow him just to ask questions and to be with us. But if we can't be people who rush headlong, headlong into confession, if we can't be people who every week joyfully come and say, Lord, Lord, I'm not who you called me to be, but I'm ready to be who you think I can be. To joyfully accept that change, that new birth, that new creation, then we have stepped aside and away from the power of God. And we've given, asked less of ourselves. We've accepted too little. I'm going to invite the band to come back down. One of the parts of communion every week is a confession. Historically, traditionally, the way it's always been done. When we come to communion every week, we come and we reenact the Lord's resurrection, or excuse me, the Lord's crucifixion and his resurrection. The bread representing his body broken on a cross. The juice representing his blood poured out for the forgiveness and redemption of all mankind. And so we come here in two spirits. We come here to agree with God, to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you were right. And we come to accept his goodness, his new creation, and the new reality that's possible here. This is the only way the world gets fixed. The only way the world ever gets fixed is through communion. It is through our death to ourselves and our resurrection in the power of Christ. We will not, we will not pull ourselves up by our moral bootstraps. So brothers and sisters, come and be relieved of the burden to be better. Come and be relieved of the burden to fix yourselves. Come and be relieved of the burden to fix other people. Come and accept the love, the power, the grace, the mercy of the God who moves heaven and earth for your redemption and the redemption of your neighbor. At any point during this next time, you can come down and take the, take, the, take the bread, dip it in the wine. Give God thanks for his forgiveness, for the new creation in our lives. This is not a time of guilt or punishment. This is not a time of sadness, this is a time of joy where we say, the God, of the, the God of the universe loves me this much that he would give up being a God and he would become human with all of his frailty. One last thought and we'll, we'll go. Somebody told me once that if I was the only sinner, if I was the only one, if the, the rest of you were perfect and I was the only one that had botched it, that God would descend in the form of his son and go to the cross on my behalf. That you're, you're that important. That if you were the only one, God would move heaven and earth for you. Come and agree with God and see if the world can't be healed. Lord, we give thanks for the work you've done, for the person you are, for the grace you've shown. Lord, we give thanks for, for the way you put to shame every other way of solving the world every other attempt to make ourselves better, every other attempt, Lord, to, to hide, every other attempt 
to pretend is put to shame, Lord, because you are good and gracious and kind and we can come to you honestly. Help us to meet this kind and loving God, not an angry, vengeful God. Help us to meet the kind, loving mover of heaven and earth so that we can be healed, so that our debts can be paid. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. Lord, we come here this morning and we agree with you. Lord, we agree 